welcome to another episode of Real to Real. Uh, as always, I am one of your hosts, Mr. Jackson Curtin, and I am, of course, uh, joined by the always lovely Mr. Christopher Barfield. <laughs> uh, coughing up hairballs on the uh, podcast. Sorry, it's here in Texas. Uh, we've had a sudden shift in the weather, mm-hmm. and the first thing that always does for me is activates my allergies. So mm-hmm. I don't have allergies anywhere else in the world except Texas. Say, like uh, most of the states, I'll get allergies in like the spring, but here in fucking Austin, of course, it's all year round, mm-hmm. all the time. And I love colder weather, but me too. The sudden shift, like. Mm-hmm gets my throat and nose acting up so yeah it was basically summer light all up until like two weeks ago yep uh, so that's a quick update in that austin weather mm-hmm. that uh, our listeners we, so dearly want yeah we know that that's what you want uh, is weather updates <laughs> we've heard you and we're here and it's our new segment it's the new segment that we are calling whether you'll be here or not <laughs> so jackson the weather it's in a cool cool 60 Will you go outside today? Uh, yes, I actually do plan on going outside. Just and that's the end of our segment on whether <laughs> you'll be here or not. So there we go. I like it. Um, well, uh, before we get into our uh, main features uh, this week, we are doing War of the Worlds and Insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um, we do want to talk about a couple movies that we saw this week. Uh, yeah, Jackson, I would like you to start if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I saw The Disaster Artist uh, this week for uh, those of you who don't know. Um, it is a uh, basically a biopic of Tommy Wiseau. Um, uh, before and just after, all the way up through, just after they made the room. One of the most uh, well-renowned and, in my opinion, overly renowned bad movies of all time. I would actually agree. There was a there was a good time there that uh, I actually kind of had quite a disdain for the room because of how popular it was and how much people raved over how bad it was. I think the worst part of it was definitely Tommy Wiseau trying to reclaim it, saying he made a dark comedy the whole time. Yeah, uh, and which they do address in the film um, good. a good bit. Uh, but after seeing that film, I actually have changed my opinions a good bit about the room retroactively. Um this movie is not only incredibly funny, um, it's also very it's it's in, it's very interesting um, as there's a lot of mystery behind Tommy Wiseau that I didn't actually even know about going into this film. Uh, I didn't realize that no one knows uh, how old he is or where he's actually from or where he got all of his money. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that I, I, I knew that he was a uh, underwear designer, so I thought he was doing that before, and that's how he made his money, but apparently that's not the uh, the case, um, which I don't want to go into too much uh, into that, uh, you watch it in the film. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's also uh, very endearing. Um, it's mainly about these two friends um, who try to push each other uh, to pursue their dreams, regardless of how, quite frankly, idiotic it is for both of them to be doing these things, um, and it, it's it's very lovely, and, and it actually hit me uh, quite hard um, as far as like emotionally. I it, I was quite tied to it because uh, you know superficially I I did a little acting in college, uh, you know, a little bit before that and a little bit after. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of additions, but I did enough to know that they're fucking awful <laughs> on that side of them, uh, or at least when you're not particularly talented. Um, True. <laughs> but uh, but also it was about you know two friends, um, and I I actually saw it with a friend of mine who I started out with in stand up, and it, a lot of it mirrored that those emotions of um, you know pushing each other to keep doing these things, of pursuing the stream that might very well be very unattainable. So um, it's it's a, it's a strange film. It's definitely a must-see. Um, if you don't like it, then I don't want to know you. Okay. <laughs> Bold words. Jackson mm-hmm. is uh, putting out a hit on at least 20% of the American population. You've, yeah. heard, it here for, you've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> first, folks. First, folks. Sibilance. 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 Sorry, I should have done this before. We start speaking to the mics, but if we could just take like a quick five minute like uh, 
exercise mm-hmm. to get like our consonants going. You That's know, just true. Yeah. Alligator, 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 alligator. Peanut butter, watermelon, peanut butter, watermelon. What did it do to die today? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're back. We're good. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, I hate Tommy Wiseau. I hope this film doesn't turn him into an accidental celebrity again like yeah, he did. Yeah, me either. So uh, it, it, I'm definitely planning on seeing it, though. Mm-hmm. It looks interesting at the very least. It so. definitely is. So, but if you don't mind, I'm going to take the floor for uh, one of my most celebrated segments on this show. Mm-hmm. It's going to be called The Psy Reviews. <laughs> All and, right. And I know I just started that sentence with, it's going to be called, mm-hmm. even though I preface that it's the most celebrated but go with me here, folks. Look, we time travel. Right? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> We've seen the future. We know where it is. I'm going to see if I can review a movie entirely in a sigh. Start up at the top, make my way down, see if I can get out everything I need to say. All right, do it. Oh, and the film is Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's mm-hmm. Star Wars, so. Yeah. The Star Wars films are the best because Ryan Johnson is a genius and brings his idiosyncratic taste to this franchise. I like it. There we go. The there we go. There we go. So, uh, so, so it's a, a, it's a C. Yeah. Okay. A yeah. C, out of the Roman numeral system. <laughs> okay. I meant a C as in go see it passively. Okay. Yeah. No. And I meant a C as in you can't see me, mm-hmm. as in John Cena, who's in the animated film Ferdinand about the cartoon bull, which is me saying skip Star Wars and go see Ferdinand <laughs> with John Cena. All right. Uh, well, um, we're not here to talk about Cartoon Bowls or John Cena. We are here to discuss some films. Uh, we're here to discuss uh, World Worlds, uh, classic uh, Steven Spielberg. Um, I'd say let's uh, let you take the reins on the synopsis real quick, Mr. Barfield. Yeah, sure. Based on uh, the novel by H.G. Wells, as mm-hmm. we all know, War of the Worlds is simply an alien invasion film. Uh, and this, uh, but like the last film and like the book itself, it's, a, it's an alien invasion film that's kind of mired specifically by the politics and the social culture of the time, mm-hmm. you know? When the uh, movie from the 50s came out, it was definitely, you know, there was a lot of Red Scare kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, definitely Cold War era. S- yeah, symbolism to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the new film, which came out in 2004... Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a only a couple years after a certain national event known as 9-11, mm-hmm. and it is very much a post-9-11 blockbuster. That is true. It, uh, it uses a lot of imagery and a lot of thematic depth from the 9-11 tragedy, and, which to my mind is what makes it one of the best modern blockbusters of all time, one of my favorite under-celebrated uh, Spielberg films. Spielberg has like a couple tiers in his films. He has his great films, his good films, and his really good, but no one seems to want to acknowledge them films. That's kind of like in his, he's in that period right now, like stuff like Bridge of Spies kind of goes like mm-hmm. under the water, even though it's actually a great film. So I kind of disagree on that. Um, I'm not the biggest Spielberg fan. Um, now, I don't, I don't deny that he definitely has the capacity and has made some truly great uh films um saving private ryan um the two of the indiana jones movies um but or he does have to me a lot of completely overrated films that i think uh only subsist on nostalgia honestly anymore um et i'm looking at you um i'm not an et fan can't go there with you my friend no no that is not i've always thought I've never actually considered him a nostalgia director. I've considered him not necessarily a guy who makes like the antithesis of nostalgia films, mm-hmm. but he always seems to bring well, I kind don't, of a darker I, edge to it, or at least just a realization of what nostalgia is, as opposed to just playing on that stuff. Oh, no, I, I don't mean that he's u- utilizing nostalgia to get points. I mean that, uh, like, in E.T.'s case, is that it's so... Um, it's been such a while now that it's people still regard it as such a great film. Oh, you mean the viewer's their, perception? Yeah, on the viewer perception of the nostalgia of those films. Oh, okay. Still wrong, you are. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think Spielberg is possibly the greatest American filmmaker uh, working, maybe of all time. I, I definitely disagree with that. Yeah, I think he's a guy who – the worst thing you can say about Spielberg, in my opinion, is that he is an unsubtle and mm-hmm. – super uh single-minded filmmaker he makes mm-hmm. films and scenes that are precisely about 
one thing. Each of those films and scenes are building up to one point, and he's using every arsenal in his filmmaking toolbox to make that one singular point. Mm. He does not care about playing down his sentimentality. Mm. He does not care about toning down melodramatic moments. He is trying to use everything he can. If he use big sweeping music, if he will be, use big histrionic acting techniques, mm -hmm. if he will use giant swooping camera movements, and he is by and large the best visual technician in yeah, American I, I filmmaking. Would I would definitely agree with that. Maybe of all time, no one better gets how to completely utilize shots to tell the story. Whether or not you like that story is up for debate. You know, I mm -hmm. think he is a tremendous technician, but I cannot even begin to defend stuff like Hook. The terminal no. or always right um but those to me aren't bad films of a mediocre director because to me only great filmmakers can make truly bad movies that's true anyway we're getting caught up on a spielberg yeah, tangent sorry. here so what i want to talk about with war of the worlds mm -hmm. is it's so of that specific time mm -hmm. which may date it for some folks but i love films that are dated because i love films that are a snapshot of a particular moment in time. And there's no better, well, there's no better film, honestly, that I think captures the post 9-11 America than War of the Worlds. And uh -huh. I'm even saying that for the more quote unquote serious films out there, just because if you're putting it in the context of a modern blockbuster, you know, stuff that usually most people go pay to see, that kind of, to me, is a better encapsulation of that time uh -huh. Than more pure and very good films like United ninety three. Oh, definitely, and and that was one thing that I really liked about um, when I when I was watching it, uh, especially early on in the film, um, how they they acknowledged that that's the time period that they was in, but without making it about uh, you know that event specifically. It was you very much got the idea that if this had happened in this time, this is exactly what it would have been like and um you know to the film's credit that's definitely uh definitely a, a good point at it i mean just to tell you how unsettled spielberg is about this stuff during the first alien attack dakota fanning's character literally screams screams out is it the terrorist mm -hmm. in a moment that i think is both played semi for laughs and also just kind of as the idea of the american people at the time mm -hmm. anything any sort of explosion-based disaster that's immediately where people are thinking it's like we're under attack it's terrorist you know right. so there's, there's that paranoia to it which uh especially in the first half is so prevalent and beautiful in the mm -hmm. way it it seeps not just through the way the uh the aliens attack and i have a lot to say i think the tripods are maybe some of the most beautifully designed alien warships i've ever seen in a film yeah these giant agree massive hulking things that lumber around on these spindly legs like ballet dancers mm -hmm. and they let out this enormous like echoing blasting horn as a almost a warning of some sort or just almost a war cry kind yeah. of that uh yeah I, I i i have trouble thinking of just aliens attack ships being uh, made into films that I love more than that design. It's so simple and beautiful mm -hmm. and then terrifying altogether when you see the amount of death and destruction that they can bring. Yeah, I and and I really thought that um especially in that first scene when it first comes out of the ground and um it starts wreaking havoc and it's it's killing one everyone. Of, one of the all-time best Spielberg set piece moments oh. right up there with the t-rex attack from jurassic park i would agree yeah um it was it was not only was it beautifully shot but it was very well choreographed um and tom cruise um i would i would honestly say uh this is one of his more um very natural performances i think in his films he, he tends to have such a an extreme intensity and that's what makes him a cap so captivating in so many different films but in this one you really get to the sense that he is um, this struggling dad just trying to um, at least take care of his children, even if he's not good at being a dad or being their friend or being involved in their lives. He at least is trying in this moment of this is an emergency and I need to do what I need to do. Um, he's a schmuck. His character is a schmuck. And despite looking like Tom Cruise and sounding and acting like Tom Cruise, mm -hmm. his character is kind of a little bit unlikable at the beginning. By design. Very, yeah. And honestly, this is where Tom Cruise gets some of his best performance. Mm -hmm. The more he leans in to these kind of semi-douchebag roles, 
the better it always comes out for him in the end, I think. Yeah. War of the Worlds is a great performance. Magnolia, mm-hmm. the film he got nominated for, where he was playing the ultimate like toxic masculinity uh, figurehead. Mm-hmm. Great. Even uh, something like Edge of Tomorrow, where his character is a war profiteer at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And throughout the film, his whole arc is to learn to how to stop being a shitbag, you mm-hmm. know? And, you know, some of that could be put up to just how American viewers just look at Tom Cruise right now, who's mm-hmm. had a checkered past, let's say. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, we've, we've, we've done this before on films and um, where, you know, there are different moments or, or um, different people in the films that if you have a issue um, with their what they've done or um, anything like that like we we don't hold it against anyone that hey if you don't want to watch a Tom Cruise movie I t- generally I don't watch Tom Cruise movies because of what I know about Scientology and what they do um, it's understandable I'm, I'll never watch another Mel Gibson film again and uh, yeah. I don't think I will either uh, <laughs> I'm certainly gonna have to miss the cinematic classic Daddy's Home too but <laughs> yeah, that's right. just the price I pay for my morals mm-hmm um, but or, yeah, that's totally fair. Yes, Tom Cruise's Scientology comes with its own troubling set of beliefs that if it's just something you can't morally abide, mm-hmm. completely understandable. Yeah. Definitely. I will say, I do think he's an incredibly engaging actor. Maybe mm-hmm. not incredibly multifaceted. No. But... What he I, does, he does very, very well. Yeah, it's... I keep saying this phrase. It's like, Tom Cruise can't play every role, but no one can play Tom Cruise. That's true. And uh, so I think he's actually a perfect fit for this deadbeat dad in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he has this wonderful arc throughout the film where he's not he's becoming less of a deadbeat dad without fully becoming a hero. I'll say this mm-hmm. much. I mean, this film's been out for a while. It did really well at box office, so I'm going to spoil the end, is that when he comes back home and drops his daughter off, who runs up to her mother, mm-hmm. and the son is revealed to be alive, which I think is an entirely good decision. I don't think the son should have died, as many people keep saying. But uh, there's an important homage to one of Spielberg's favorite films that he's working with. Mm-hmm. That is uh, the old John Wayne Western, The Searchers, mm-hmm. in that there's a very important visual coding there where the son runs out to hug Tom Cruise, but the, that's the last thing you see of Tom Cruise. More importantly, the thing you don't see of him mm-hmm. is that he doesn't go inside the house. Right. And this happened uh, during The Searchers, which... Uh, Say, so I always think of shame. Uh, that too. It's, but, yeah. It's very much a symbolic gesture of, like, these men standing outside these doors with their, from their families or from the people they've saved. Mm-hmm. They don't go in because... They're not part of them. They're not the heroes. Mm-hmm. They're just the protagonist, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's Tom Cruise's role in this is that even though he does ultimately save them, I mean you can argue the 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 boy kind of saves himself, which I think is a totally justifiable act. Uh, even though he does save Dakota Fanning's character, he's ultimately he he can't be part of that family, you know. I I do want to touch a, a little bit on. Uh, I mean I totally agree. I do want to touch a little bit on um, on the boy uh, on his yes, son, played by a young Justin Chatwin, who is also. A good half a foot taller than Tom Cruise, <laughs> yeah. which is delightful because in every staging, never are they face to face. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you would just see what a tiny baby Tom Cruise is. Yes, that's true. Also, what happened to him? Uh, he he had some really good roles in the mid two thousands, and then nothing. One word. What? Dragon Ball. Oh uh, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But uh, I I do I did like that part of the of the film of um there's a there is one one a very uh, wonderful scene where they are getting onto this ferry and uh, Tom Cruise's character is just trying to hold on to Dakota Fanning and because um, he's just, his his main thing is keeping his daughter safe you know she's like six seven eight years old somewhere around there mm-hmm. at the time and the the son jumps up uh, all these people are trying to get onto the ferry they're clinging for dear life on the sides of it and the sun jumps up on the railings and starts pulling people up and that's at that moment uh tom cruise really sees his son for who he is and that his son even though he's kind of a shit his son is quite a decent human being his son is the guy who will jump in and just save people just altruistically Mm -hmm. tom cruise will think about only himself and his daughter mm-hmm. and by extension his son and that comes into play in the second half where tom cruise when locked with a paranoid man who could possibly get them killed mm-hmm. 
commits a pretty dark deed that yeah. is not necessarily 100% justified. No, it really isn't at all. In fact, that's uh, for me, that's where the film loses me. It's towards the sen- end of the second act. This is a common thing. People, this film has a very clear divide between its first and second act. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I'll say this. The first act, as in the first hour of the movie is maybe some of the most pitch-perfect blockbuster filmmaking ever in existence. To me, mm-hmm. it's untouchable. And yes, the second act is not as good, but it only downgrades from perfect to very good. I, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree. Just I, because I think it becomes a different film. But I think it becomes a good film with a good point, which is that I think Tim Robbins' character was kind of weirdly uh ahead of its time in that it mm. is a condemnation of sort of the infowars conspiracy theorist type oh yeah that I... even in the moment where they're technically right and mm. aliens have invaded these people are still unhelpful paranoid shitbags who do have the potential to get us killed yeah um... now that's not to say what tom cruise does is justified in fact i love that the film goes down such a dark route with that mm-hmm. uh, what this is why i said is one of my favorite blockbusters. I can't think of another blockbuster where a character murders another character off screen and you're left to say, I don't know if he should have done that. (laughs) Or some people just definitely say like, he shouldn't have done that. That was, that was just the act of a crazy person. I mean, I I get I, I saw that you know uh, Tom and you know goes to the point of of his character that he's literally just trying to do whatever he can to save himself and his daughter. Um, and he's, he's such a fuck up in life that he thinks. That's the only way he can be a quote unquote good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but and but I, I and nothing against Tom uh, Tim Robbins' uh, character. I mean, he did an absolutely wonderful job um, in uh, playing that character. I just it, it's not even so much that that moment uh, that unjustified um, extra judicial killing. <laughs> uh, it, it's more just like at that point. That's kind of when the film for me. Uh, the pacing shifts and then the storytelling, then it com- becomes a lot less of the Tom Cruise after that moment of when he kills Tim Robbins. Um, it's a lot less about him and his daughter and just kind of, okay, we need to wrap this up. How do we wrap this up? It's kind of how I felt about it. Which to point. be fair is kind of the way the story plays out in that general. That is true. That is true. I... Both iterations of the original War of the Worlds are more or less just like, here's and our film, and the, it's like, the and it's done. as well. I... Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, makes sense. It's a novella. Mm-hmm. It is ultimately kind of a short-ish story. And, uh, yeah, it's like, maybe you can argue that, like, yes, the whole idea of germs being the thing that kills the aliens is, while definitely ironic, maybe doesn't 100% thematically Mm-mm. into the story. But for me... The it's, ending, it's definitely better written than it is shown. Yeah, but for me, the ending is what justifies the means, and to the point where it's like, yeah, I do kind of agree with Spielberg's filmmaking. It's like, okay, it's like that big part of the story is out of the way. Now we just got to get the aliens out of here like they did in the story mm-hmm. so we can hit it home with this final shot. Um, well, also, to me, the very, very end, the, the narration by, uh, I believe, Morgan Freeman, if yep. I heard that correctly. That's my boy. Um he the the he has like four sentences at the beginning and like four sentences at the end and to me it was kind of an egregious ad um I, it, 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 I mean at this point who doesn't or at least at that time who didn't know the story of the war of the worlds i mean unless you were particularly young um i mean i was 15 when this movie had came out i'd already read it probably two or three times at that point um so and seeing the original 1953 classic uh, probably a few times. So that that cla- the original is um, I, I do love that film quite a bit. Um, and so you know who they already had a really great moment of show don't tell where Tom Cruise's character plucks off this vine when they're seeing that they're creating basically fertilize uh, fertilizer out of people, and he notices that the vines that they're creating have withered and died. So it's like okay, they can't sustain that they can't subsist here on Earth, and they're dying out. Um, I felt like that had already been shown pretty well, and then you have this narration. I mean, it's not as bad as say like Blade Runner, but it still to me was a little much. Eh, I think it's a nitpick. It's just a simple framing device. I no, I get it. I just uh, it just reminds me of how uh, how much handholding a lot of people need, and I hate it. 
I just think Spielberg's just a guy who's not afraid to handhold with his audiences. That's true. He he is not. I, he is definitely uh, the everyman director, and that's not. I don't mean that as a criticism. Um, yeah, it's just the kind of films he makes. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah, is there any like big major problem you have with this film? Not not entirely. No, I mean it's not. It, I don't hate this film. I see I see what it is uh, that he was trying to do. It's not one of my particular favorites, but. Um, uh, there are some odd choices that I don't like. Um, like during the scene with uh, right before um, when he's with Tim Robbins and uh, right before the aliens kind of search the basement, there's a there's just one particular shot that uh, of close up of uh, Tom Cruise's face, and it just to me it was very odd. There's a lot of very odd choices I think in that film of um, just how they show a lot of things. I guess what I'm asking you is like, do you feel like these little odd choices to you communicate some sort of larger problem? Like just in general, like do you feel like Spielberg maybe his his mishandling of it where his sometimes his overly unsettled nature. Yeah, I think so. Just I think play, just kind of maybe killed the buzz for you a bit. Yeah. I mean, cause it, it's, it's hard to say that, a movie so it encapsulates me so much at the beginning, but then loses me so much towards the end. Um, it's just once you hit that turning point, it, for me, it just doesn't come back. Um, and I, 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 it's not so much that it's sloppy filmmaking. I just feel like he made the wrong choice in a lot of it. it there was a there's a sort of tipping point that if it hadn't gone that way, I think it would have been a, a particularly great film. But for me, it just um, doesn't quite hit that mark. It, it was a huge swing, and it almost hit. It comes so close, but then just doesn't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I guess I should have said at the beginning, or at least after our reviews, that uh, <laughs> the reason we picked these specific films is today's theme is what I'm going to call the blood in the water theme mm-hmm. because we're coming after each other. Yeah, you know? we're, we specifically chose films that we disagree on. The claws are coming out now, so... <laughs> But, As you can tell by our very light disagreement on War of the Worlds. <laughs> uh, well, I know that we're going to have uh, a lot. I, th- I feel like the next film we're going to have a pretty heated uh, argument. I mean, we'll see. But yeah, just my thing is like I think War of the Worlds is a great, slightly uneven, but ultimately important film to our culture. Uh, American culture, if I'm mm-hmm. being specific. you know. Definitely. So I think it's a lovely harrowing snapshot of a time through the lens of blockbuster filmmaking that I don't think many other skilled filmmakers could pull off like Steven Spielberg. No, I think, uh, well, you know, I kind of disagree about that because um, I feel like if a, um, just to throw a name out, I mean, we were, we were discussing him earlier, like uh, Ryan Johnson, if, if a filmmaker, I think a, if a more daring uh, filmmaker hadn't made this movie, I think it could have pulled it around a little bit more. I think it's a pretty daring film. It's a daring film, but made by an, I don't want to. I don't like calling Steven Spielberg an undaring because he does a lot of things that no one else would have ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not so much that way a lot as far as story structure goes. Um, he's very he's very much a spectacle. Not I would I kind of would have liked a little more introversion. I think it works fine for that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that'll put a nice button on it, right? Okay. Um, so what would you? What would your one hundred percent subjective rating be for World of the Worlds? A Mac out of me, for Mac and me. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I'm going to give it a catch it on a Sunday when you got nothing else to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a very Gene Shalit esque rating. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Well, uh, so our second film, uh, that, which was my pick, um, is Christopher Nolan's Insomnia 2003 Sleeper. Uh, not even Sleeper because uh, it never really got any kind of notoriety. Um, it's a film that. People largely missed, um, and I I can totally see why. But uh, as far as the synopsis goes, it stars um, Al Pacino as a detective who is called in uh, as a favor to uh, solve a murder that happens in Alaska. They don't really have very many murders in a small town in Alaska, so they um, ask for help from a Los Angeles cop who used to work with their chief of police. Um, so he goes up there, and I don't want even—I don't even know if this is really a spoiler because it's a what fourteen-year-old movie now, right? Um, so he ends up in the thick of a fog while they're chasing down this killer. He ends up accidentally shooting his partner, 
And then as the film progresses through his own guilt, he be, he gets insomnia and he can't sleep. It's also a big part of the movie that um, it's uh, in Alaska during the summer, the sun doesn't set for about a month. So throughout the whole film, he can't sleep. It's daylight the whole time. He never gets the rest uh, that he needs. Um, and then from that point uh, through um, the killer of the, the murder that happened, uh, who's played by um, Robin Williams. Um, the murderer sees that, and he tries to control Al Pacino's character um, throughout the film, uh, trying to push him towards basically letting them go and pinning the murderer on um, on the girl who got murdered, her boyfriend. Um, to me, I, I feel like this is one of um, Christopher Nolan's most overlooked films without being like following his first film. Um, but following was an independent film that he shot over the course of a year and just kind of went to a few different fel uh, film festivals. It wasn't released. This was his, I believe, his first major film release yeah. um, uh, after Memento, and it was something that just completely uh, got pushed over. <clears throat> Sleeper film is what you said at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's a very apt term for me because <laughs> right. this film put me to goddamn sleep. <laughs> what a slog. Holy shit. Yeah, I'll say this. I have never been particularly in love with Christopher Nolan as a I filmmaker. Know. I think he has two genuine masterpieces under his belt in the form of The Dark Knight and The Prestige. No, three. And Inception. Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight, The Prestige, and Inception. Actually, no. Take The Dark Knight out of there. I think The Dark Knight is very, very, very good. <laughs> but to me, The Inception and Prestige are actual masterpieces mm -hmm. and great films. Uh See, I kind of would throw Interstellar and uh, Dunkirk in there as well, but I would mildly disagree on Dunkirk. I would highly disagree on Interstellar. Uh, you're you are so wrong. Interstellar, Interstellar is his least successful. Here's the thing: Dark Knight Rises, his worst film, definitely. Interstellar, his least successful film. Mm -hmm. Insomnia, my least favorite of his films. Mm -hmm. Insomnia is the one for me that I just—it's everything I don't like about Christopher Nolan rolled up into a tight two-hour package. And that is despite all the good stuff, despite the very good cinematography, mm -hmm. the economical filmmaking style, yes. despite the very good performances, one of at the time, one of the few tolerable modern Al Pacino performances where yes. he was actually acting. Oh my god. As yes. opposed to just hamming it up. It is a very good performance. I'm not taking that away from him at I, all. I do want to I do want to stress that point. I, I that that is one thing that I absolutely love about the movie is that uh, Al Pacino isn't just a raving, just yelling mess of a person he's very he's extremely reserved and only becomes more reserved throughout the film as he becomes t more and more tired i feel like christopher nolan um casted pacino in this role specifically so he'd go okay you're gonna be fucking sleepy the whole movie it is actually a very good performance because his weariness mm -hmm. in the film both from his lack of sleep and from his own moral conscience kind of eating away at him mm -hmm. you can literally see the decay like in his face and this is just a very minor weird point, but as people in the film industry will know, most films are not shot in chronological order. No. So the fact that in a scene-to-scene -scene basis, he can play the exact amount of decay he has in that given scene is pretty incredible. Yeah. It is a very good performance, a very, very noteworthy mm -hmm. Al Pacino performance. Uh, a pretty good Robin Williams performance, too. He is yeah. suitably creepy in a way that is wholly recognizable as a person you might know. Yeah, I what I love about um what about what I love about uh, Robin Williams's character is that um he's very much like the what you kind of almost figure is the end result of the nice guy. Yeah, um, definitely. Where he befriended this young girl who he ended up becoming uh overly attached to her and uh in a moment of uh, personal weakness on his end. He tries to make a move on her, and that's when he ends up killing her. Because um, he, he feels emasculated mm -hmm. when he tries to uh, make a move, and she ends up laughing at him. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, you know, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Nothing against women, but sometimes a guy tries to make the move, and it's so weird and jarring that they can't help but laugh. Yeah. So, and then sometimes men react horribly to that scenario mm -hmm. in a way that I do think makes Robin. Williams' performance really compelling, and I uh, and and the scene where he's describing why he did it or how it happens, he's constantly trying to justify his actions, and I just thought it was absolutely perfect how they handled that situation. And this was made in two thousand three. This wasn't even when people were you know quote unquote woke about nice guys like 
you know, we are in 2017. It's definitely a little ahead of its time in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hillary Swank. Hillary. Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank. Problem number one. Christopher Nolan can't fucking write women. No, he, he can can't. write maybe three types of women. He can write femme fatales. Mm-hmm. He can write blank audience avatars who yeah. basically have to be told what to do, and he can write Scarlett Johansson the Prestige. Yeah, no, that's I, about it. And total, well, no, Hillary Swank is in Interstellar. She did a good job, and that was a pretty. She did a good job. That was a pretty decently written part. Comparatively to other Christopher Nolan films, like I, we have discussed it before, but um, Here's, no, I one hundred percent agree that Christopher Nolan is not very good at writing roles for women. He just isn't. I think the problem with Anne Hathaway's character in Interstellar comes from more directing choices than writing choices or acting choices. So mm-hmm. I will lightly concede to you on that point. Okay, lightly, you are on thin ice, <laughs> Mister. But uh, yeah, Hilary Swank, fucking audience avatar. Yeah, she is. It is just old men telling her what to do. The movie. Mm-hmm. Hillary Swanks listen to old people tell her what to do. Here's how you feel about me in this scene. Here's how crimes work. Here's what you're going to do, lady. Yeah, even Problem if... number one. Fucking Christopher Nolan can't write women. Mm-mm. Her character in this and Ellen Page in Inception are virtually identical. Yeah. But at least in Inception, everyone is a fucking archetype, so it kind of fits. Yeah. But here it doesn't, and it sucks, and I hate it. Problem number two. Christopher Nolan is a boring, stodgy man who makes boring, stodgy films. Mm-hmm. This, for a murder mystery, this is one of the most staid, unlike dangerous films I've ever seen. He gives everything such a clear-cut answer. Here's the thing. Insomnia, on its own, is mediocre to not good. Well, it's not but... really a murder mystery. You know who the murderer is. And the cop who, who knows knows who the murderer is in the middle of the film. It's not really about the murder itself. Then it should be about the moral crisis within al pacino's character i mean that is which here's the thing here's the thing it's negated by the fact that it's 100 percent confirmed that it is an accident that he shot his partner because here's point number two Mm -hmm. insomnia is a bad to not good film on its own Mm -hmm. it is entirely pointless if you've seen the norwegian original which is basically the same film because surprise it's a remake yeah but it is significantly sketchier and ickier. And I'm not saying that's always a point in its favor. Sometimes mm-hmm. films can be like that and can be terrible. But with this specific story, when you know the character who in the uh, original version, played by Stellan Skarsgård, mm-hmm. his character is notably a much darker person than Al Pacino's character. Al Pacino's character is just kind of a buzzkill. I, Which, I, again, is... And I, I kind of like that choice, though, because he goes from being uh, a decent human being who made uh, a, a one bad choice because he was trying to do what was what he thought was right, um, and then through an accident completely out of his own real actions because he was just doing what any uh, cop would have done, any, even any good cop would have done, and yet his, still, um, his constant guilt at that uh, time of his... Actions, I feel like, um, was a pretty good representation of how someone can intrinsically feel guilty for something that they shouldn't feel guilty about. I think it makes the film less interesting because I think that's one of those scenarios. This is kind of an old screenwriting, filmmaking, like, easy trick Mm -hmm. where it's like if you just have a character withhold information that in a lot of scenarios, maybe not every scenario, but in a lot of scenarios could absolve them of that. It, it just is a cheap convenience trick to keep the film going. I think of the film Mystic River, also starring our boy Tim Robbins, uh-huh. uh, where his character is thought to be the person that kills Sean Penn's character yeah. because of a dodgy alibi that he won't tell anyone about. It's super suspicious. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he was out killing a pedophile, yeah. which in that movie made no fucking sense because yeah. all his friends knew about his history. And as if, and this is like a, this is a specific town that mm-hmm. even though Kevin Bacon's character is a cop, it's totally believable in the characters that they would not look, feel that yeah, much guilt other, about yeah. him killing a pedophile. Yeah, they would have looked the other way. That is that is my main same problem. Also, with, uh, Mystic Mr. River Robert. sucks. The end. Next ah, point. It's got some good scenes. Although, I don't really want to watch it anymore because of Sean Penn. Um, he's a disgusting human being who yes, should he be is. in prison. Um, Clint Eastwood has... Never mind. I don't want to get stuck on Yeah, well, let's really. not get stuck on, on uh, why we shouldn't watch certain You're right, actors. We'll be here all day. Exactly. <clears throat> but uh, I think it makes the film considerably less interesting when you have that element to it. And you have all these elements in play 
that can help nudge that moral ambiguity into really compelling territory. Because quite honestly, a chunk of this film is just Al Pacino sitting by himself kind of feeling that way. Which, again, that's not an inherently bad way to make films. I don't think there's an inherently bad way to make films. You can make films like that engaging. Like I said, it's well mm-hmm. shot. It's not really boring. I was being facetious at the yeah. beginning. It didn't literally put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. What it does is I watch it in a total state of passivity. Mm-hmm. Because it is an entirely neutered, stoic film. Point number the fuck whatever. I hate Christopher Nolan's obsessive, stoic fetish. Stoicism to yeah. me is such a cinematic buzzkill. And it's the thing he always keeps coming back to. And it works. It works when the line of work that he is attaching it to is already cinematically exciting. Like, say, being fucking Batman or mm. being Freddy Krueger, but also James Bond, or yeah. being Tesla. In those scenarios where the situation itself is inherently exciting, then his stoicism makes for welcome counterbalance. Like this, when we're already talking about being a cop in a pretty low-key story, if we're being honest, mm-hmm. I think it just makes the film so goddamn dry. Uh, I, you know, I don't disagree that that the film is, is fairly dry, but to me that's kind of more... Um a point for not a point against um i i personally i really like the um the internal struggle of uh, uh al pacino's character that to me is what more um that the rest of the actual plot line to me is almost more the b story than um actually the internal struggle of as al most great murder mysteries are Usually the it, mystery, but it's not a murder mystery you that's know what who, i'm s- it, it wasn't it but wasn't it's, what i'm saying is using that template but it's not even which is fine. Thing, like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's kind of like it's more of a bait and switch on that. Sure, uh, like I'm not saying it's necessarily a mystery as in to find out who the killer is. It's more find out a mystery in that how is he going to one up the killer at every mm-hmm. given opportunity? And it has one kind of stupid set piece in it. If I'm being totally honest, mm-hmm. the whole him chasing then getting trapped underwater with the logs on top. A very cool action scene that mm-hmm. kind of doesn't belong in this film because I feel like it just feels like. Like, listen, every now and again, you got to put an action scene in a film uh-huh. like this. And I feel like this was Nolan's attempt at it. Quite frankly, Nolan has never been that good at action. He does not, not stage particularly, action particularly no. well. Uh, the most notable... He edits way, it way too much. He yeah. does. This yeah. is why his most celebrated and well-regarded action scene is the, uh, the, the spinning room in Inception. Because of that special effect, it was forced to be a one-shot, mm-hmm. which makes it staggering and engaging. Yeah. And listen, nothing against him. Not everyone has to be an action director. No. Hell, that's why I think The Prestige is such a good film, just because mm-hmm. he manages to make essentially a pissing contest between two magicians into like an entirely compelling generational tale. Oh, look, we're going to do The Prestige sometime later. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So we won't burn out our goodwill on that. Yeah. What I'm saying is this film needed a verve and a fire. And when you've seen the original, all I can say is why? Because all he did was take his own idiosyncrasies, mm-hmm. not any sort of deeper thematic heft or anything to it, just his specific style, and put it over a story that does not benefit from it. This story does not get better because of Christopher Nolan. This is the same way I felt about Interstellar. This story, Interstellar may have actually been a bit worse in that regard, because Interstellar desperately needed someone who was not Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan tried, mm-hmm. and I don't hate Interstellar. I don't hate Interstellar. Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn mess. And it's a quagmire of bad directorial decisions with a script that he clearly – well, it was already written. Like it's clearly a script he came into. And I'm not saying that like like I'm like looking too deep into the film. It's uh-huh. like that's just the way it was. Spielberg was supposed to originally direct Interstellar. And quite frankly, he would have made a much better film. Mm, I disagree. That's uh-huh. a film that's <laughs> dependent on heart. There's a, it's a film that's literally about the science of love. Mm. And the reason that that whole monologue from Anne Hathaway falls flat for so many people is because Christopher Nolan shoots that scene so dry and so stoic when it needed that Spielberg touch. The only Spielberg could have made Anne Hathaway explaining the science of love ring and hit home with some people. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't don't want to that, that scene, uh, that's one thing. That's a point of contention with me because that scene, I feel like, to me, really hit home. But... It doesn't hit home for me. It espouses an idea that I love and something I do want to believe in. Mm -hmm. That is a type of love that I do have in my heart and I do genuinely believe in. I just think the scene is not well directed just in terms of choices rather than execution. I don't know. Which is the same way I feel about this movie Mm -hmm. in that it's all technically right. 
Like, mm-hmm. as a director, he made the right Christopher Nolan film. But what I'm saying is this film shouldn't have been a Christopher Nolan film. This needed someone who could put some verve and some danger into it. You can still take away some of the seedier aspects of the original, but still keep a sense of tension to it instead of his sense of morose. I, I like, actually I do agree that uh, in that um, I would really like to see – what, like a Darren Aronofsky take on it? Or even it? a David Fincher take, stuff like that. David Fincher yeah. kind of made this film with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, yeah. which is an overall bad film, yeah. but it's a bad film that rings for a lot of people because mm. David Fincher is an infinitely more cinematic director. Could Notice I don't mean better, because Fincher has a lot of problems on his own that yeah. we'll get to one day. Oh, yeah, but, definitely. But he's a better pick for these kind of stories because he can put a sense of danger behind them. Because he can take that seediness and he can clamp it off in a way where it doesn't feel so exploitive a lot of the time. Um, I don't like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. I think it's infinitely more watchable than Insomnia. Mm, Even being as stupid. The only thing that Insomnia has going for it is in the writing. Because quite frankly, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is based on a not very good book. Mm. That's already a not very good story. That is basically wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Or like, what if I could fuck Lady Terminator? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. No offense to the man who died, Stiegs Larson. I'm sorry, it's like, but that's what the book is. It's airport novel trash. Yeah. Insomnia is a better written film because it's based on a very good original film, but all it is is Christopher Nolan putting his gross, stinky dick all over it, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't I, like this film. It's not the worst film, and mm-hmm. if I had to see this film every single day, it would not be my personal hell. That would be like the Oogie Loves movie or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that, that would be gross. But uh, <laughs> no, I... I I don't know. This th- this is a film that uh, I've loved for many, many, many years. Um, it's one of the – I think it's like the second Christopher Nolan film I saw um, after Memento. And um, it's it's one of those films that when I was in high school, I, uh, I rewatched over and over and over and over again. And uh, it's part of the reason why I got into filmmaking. Um, maybe it's also part of the reason why I'm not in filmmaking anymore, but – <laughs> that's why I wanted to be, um, it, and it's just it's one of those films that to me it's it's interesting without uh, being overly uh, you know convoluted. Um, it brings up a lot of uh, different things for how people process not just loss but their own actions. Um, so I don't know. It's just one of those films that really ring with me personally. But uh, I I don't. I, I'm not saying it's a perfect film, but I do think that it's a film that people should at least watch and give their own opinions. But um, I I think it's a good film personally. Christopher Nolan lucked out with casting Al Pacino. That's, I think I still think that's a very specific move. It's the only reason this film kind of works for some people. Mm-hmm. If you have no Al Pacino, there's no insomnia. Because he bet all his horse on Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Al Pacino basically, not for me, but I think for a lot of people, Al Pacino basically saves this film. And I do think there are some films you can argue that they're built so much on the central performance that mm-hmm. it's kind of pedantic to argue that the film doesn't work without the performance because there's no film besides performance. Like yeah. Black Swan is a film oh, I think of. Oh, yeah. No, that's – yeah. I, I agree. I, and I definitely agree that Al Pacino is definitely the best part of, of Insomnia. It's – slog christopher nolan i think it's a good good late night watch if you want everything i don't like about christopher nolan a film it's right here (laughs) the only it's one dead wife away from being everything i dislike about christopher nolan Mm. yeah i that is something that happens a bit too much in his movies but uh, in my opinion the film that if you forced me to go to the oeuvre of christopher nolan the film i would look the least forward to watching again okay Bad Dark Knight Rises, as outright bad as it is, is kind of adorable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interstellar, parts of it worked so well for me that I can make it through the parts that viciously do not work. Um, what's the other not good film? <sighs> we can't talk about Dunkirk. It's never going to be underrated. It's probably going to get nominated for Oscars. Oh, yeah, we, I never. Yeah, we're not going to. All I can say it. is Dunkirk doesn't work for me for entirely personal reasons, mm. so I can't even. I don't even know if I can come with that film yet. I'm, it, Dunkirk's in my 
see how I feel in a couple years. That's yeah. a film I'd, I'd actually be willing to revisit. I, I can I can totally respect that on Dunkirk, but I will say... Um, oh, Batman Begins. Oh, fuck, good Batman Begins, I, I hardly consider it a Christopher Nolan film sometimes. Because you can, cause you can feel the studio's involvement in the movie. It's definitely Christopher Nolan kind of Watered attempt down. at being a journeyman director. Yeah. And it's not yeah. the worst, but it's, it's in my opinion, it's just the very high end of not good yeah no i i agree that uh with that on batman begins but then it gave us the dark knight and which is quite good yeah. which then gave us the dark knight rises mm. it all comes back yeah it's all full circle but okay so chris your your 100 subjective rating for uh insomnia mm -hmm. i give insomnia one dead wife <laughs> one dead wife uh i give insomnia a um, when you're alone at night and uh, you're you've just finished crying, this is a good movie to watch. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my favorite Gene Shalit review. Yeah, um, right, don't you fucking push that end recording. No, button. no, I wasn't. I was. We've got uh, two things to do left. Two. I oh wait, hold on. Then yeah, you might, forgot. We might have you? three. Oh, okay. I have got I have an extra little bit at the end. All right, let's see. Uh, well, I'll say my thing, and if you want to do your thing first, let's okay. see. Okay, so first thing we gotta do the game. Yep. I actually have another game, so perfect. we'll do two games. Well, I meant we have to do a game, so oh. your, your game is perfect. Oh, okay. Um, mine's, mine's real, uh, real quick. Awesome. It's not even really a game. It's more, um, uh, it's it's a awarded season is coming up, mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like there are some performances that are coming out or that have happened this year in both film and television that are getting overlooked. Um, so I wanted to have each discuss uh, our pick for. Um, one maybe not our most overlooked, but uh, one of our most overlooked um, performances of the year. Okay, um, I, I'll go first. I want to talk about Michael McKean's performance as the elder brother on um, Better Call Saul. Very surprised that got overlooked. It's a, a very good performance. Oh my god! Uh, and, especially the um, the scene in the middle of this last season, uh, the courtroom scene where he and gives the his... uh, now infamous epi episode chicanery. Yes, that is true. Um, uh, where he, uh, after years of frustration dealing with his younger brother, it all finally comes out uh, in this testimony of how uh, his older brother is constantly feeling like he's being looked over in compared to his fuck up brother, um, which really hits home for me because like this you know i come from an irish family and and quite frankly me and my older brother have a good not you know not anywhere near as drastic um but he's always been more of the straight lace and i'm definitely a fuck up yeah. <laughs> um, and i feel like they nail it so well and michael mckean's performance in that episode is just so incredibly perfect um it just couldn't have been better directed better acted like you just couldn't you can't improve on what kind of baffles me about that performance getting overlooked is not only is it a very 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 good performance mm -hmm. it's a very good performance that's tailor-made for like emmy nominations yeah like it his arc in the last season it is literally like emmy nominations like shots back to back <laughs> His big scene at the end of Chicanery is – it's the ultimate highlight reel moment. Uh, it, yeah. it, it definitely is, and you and I would almost hate it for that if it wasn't so good. The, the, it's a big risk. It's a mm -hmm. big risk. I think the uh, the creators at the time knew that he was already giving great performance, so they like catered, especially since this was – no, I won't say that. That's a spoiler. But just that mm – -hmm. uh, Yeah, let's not spoil our, uh, a current television <laughs> series. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Uh, but I will say that they seem to cater it to that. Mm -hmm. That's like, we know he's that good. Let's really put all of our energy into making sure that this season makes him look like a heavy awards contender. Mm -hmm. So that's what's, and like I said, like that is a bit of a risk because for a lot of people watching it, that can, that can come off as a little tryhard mm -hmm. and a little uh, obnoxious. You know, I, I've certainly seen many of a, uh, Oscar bait, Emmy bait uh, performances that really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Not only because the performances themselves were fine to decent, but the film just insisting on what an amazing, captivating performance it is is just so, just so obnoxious. Yeah. So 
it's it's pretty it was pretty brave of them to do that mm. not brave wolf that's the wrong word it was pretty ballsy of them to do that knowing that he could really yeah. really hit it home which by the way i am three seasons in uh and i think i gotta say it for me personally i think i like better to call Saul better than breaking bad oh no i do too I 100% agree. Breaking Bad's good. It's just my basic fave, you know? Mm-hmm. But Better Call Saul to me, it's just... And, and it's funny because once when Breaking Bad ended, I thought, there's no way another TV show could captivate me like this. And then Better Call Saul came around, and but at the end of the first season, I went, oh, this... No, yeah, it can be... It's better. <laughs> it can it can do. I didn't, I didn't know. It is very good. So, yeah, that's definitely a good little contender. Uh, I'm currently searching through the films that came out this year so I can give you my opinion on what is going to be an overlooked performance. You know what? And I got it. And goddamn, I hate that this is the one I'm going to pick, but I'm Mm going to pick it. Go for it. See, when I was thinking about the films that, or the performances that I was going to point out, I was thinking about trying to find someone who's not a white dude, basically. Yeah, no. trying to think of just someone who is a bit more just because not only because performances like that tend to get overlooked because of stuff like that. Yeah. So I regret that I am gonna have to pick the choice that I pick only because it's just the thing that pops in my mind. So maybe we'll do this little thing again next time. Just so yeah, we can we'll, get... yeah. Let's be a little more. Let's let's do it again next week. Let's be more inclusive. I just I had to say Michael McKean. I just I had it, to. That's fair. Here's mine that I think is gonna get overlooked, mm-hmm. or at least I feel like is not being commented upon or not. The film Colossal. The performance is Jason Sudeikis. Mm. Jason Sudeikis in Colossal is a terrific performance. It's already a terrific film. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to play, basically, kind of similar to uh, to Robin Williams' character. He is playing a version of the nice guy archetype taken to an extreme, extremely dark spot. Mm-hmm. Like, his character has to go to not... Some psychologically damning places. He is committing some really gross stuff. Uh, at one point in the film, he's basically blackmailing a woman into being in a relationship with him. And it's a wholly creepy and just unsettling, parasitic relationship. Hmm. Uh, and his performance in it is staggering because. I'll be quite honest with you. I've always thought Jason Sudeikis as a comic performer on SNL and in the films. I've always thought he's been tremendously talented mm-hmm. while also being kind of entirely without his own identity. Yeah. Whenever I watched him in a film or on uh, SNL, I always thought this guy's funny. He can hold his own in court with a lot of these heavy hitters. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I never thought to myself, oh, that's a classic Jason Sudeikis bit. you know? Yeah. Or that's a classic Jason Sudeikis character. I always feel he's just kind of like adapting to his scenarios or whatever character, which is its own skill. Yeah. No, I don't no. want to take that away from him, but like someone like Will Forte or Andy Samberg, Kristen mm-hmm. Wiig, Kate McKinnon, those people have their own very specific comic identities, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. Leslie just... Jones, too. She has her own specific comedic identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these SNL people do. So when they bring that to films, that's kind of what's exciting. It's just like, ooh, I want to see this sensibility, mm-hmm. but with like this cast or in this kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen a movie because it was a Jason Sudeikis film. I've just enjoyed him in a movie that he's in. Exactly. So, so to see him make such a drastic leap to mm-hmm. a dramatic performance, a dramatic performance that a whole chunk of the film kind of depends on his quality as an actor to bring it home. He's a very important character, and which, by the way, if Anne Hathaway doesn't get nominated for Colossal, that will be a mistake because it is career best work she's doing. Is it? It's Rachel at the Wedding. Good oh, stuff she's man. doing. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Um, it's one of my, yeah, it's a great film. Jason Sudeikis is surprisingly remarkable in it. Hmm. So that's why I wanted to put his name for that performance out there because I imagine it probably won't get a lot of awards love. It hasn't so far. Hmm. I think there's a chance Anne Hathaway can squeak in as sort of the Dark Horse nomination on uh, the Oscars, mm-hmm. just because Colossal itself is such a weird film, it is a kaiju monster movie and also an incredibly dark look yeah. into alcoholism and self-destruction. They did not advertise it like that at all. I thought it was just a, a, a wacky comedy when I saw the trailers. It's closer to something like being John Malkovich, oh, anything okay. like that. Yeah, I'm it's definitely a, have to see it then. Yeah, it's fantastical, but in service of some pretty harrowing personal stuff. 
Yeah. So, yeah. See Colossal. Great film. Jason Sudeikis surprised the hell out of me in it. And I'm happy to say he surprised the hell out of me. I'm not looking forward to him in just about anything. All right. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, – do we want to announce? Do you want to yes. make the announcements? Uh, would you like to make the announcements this week, Chris Paul? Yes. So next week is a very special week. Mm-hmm. And it's a very special day we're going to release it on. Hopefully, should I put a date on it, or do you not want that pressure? No, no, no. You can put a date on it. It's fine. Okay, so hopefully our next episode will be released on December 25th, which for me and Jackson is a very special day. Mm-hmm. I think for quite a few people it's a special day. Yeah. It is Shane Black Day. We're doing a yep. Shane Black double feature. <laughs> We're hitting the long kiss goodnight and kiss kiss bang bang. It's a Shane Black kiss mm-hmm. feature. Yeah, love it. All right, everybody. Thank you very much uh, for listening to this episode, and we will see you at the movies. Drugs are bad. <laughs>